Hello, my name is Andrew Laposha, and welcome to the Twilight Years. On today's episode, we will be looking at the death and final years of entertainer Sammy Davis Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. was once billed as the greatest entertainer to ever grace a stage in these United States. There's a lot of truth to that statement. Sammy Davis Jr. did just about everything. He sang, he danced, he acted, he told jokes, he did impressions, he was an accomplished mime. And it's not just that he did all those things, it's that he did them all so perfectly. On top of that, he began doing it when he was just three years old. It's hard to find an entertainer in the entire history of show business as talented as Sammy. Sammy did have a rough personal life. Trying to become famous as a black man in the late 40s and early 50s was no easy feat. He sparked controversy in 1960 when he married a white Swedish actress named Mae Britt at a time when interracial marriage was heavily frowned upon and in some states illegal. He converted to Judaism and lost his left eye in a car accident, which we will get to in a moment. One time when he was asked what his golf handicap was, he said, I'm a one-eyed Negro who's Jewish. He drew some criticism from the black community in the early 70s by supporting and befriending President Richard Nixon. He was also into alcohol, cocaine, and pornography. There's even a rumor that he took to Satan worshipping at one point. But even with a crazy personal life, the man was freakishly talented. November 19, 1954. Sammy was a month shy of 29 years old and was just starting to make a name for himself in show business. Sammy, his father, and his uncle were part of a group called the Will Maston Trio. They had just finished a show in Las Vegas. Sammy went back to Universal Studio in San Fernando Valley the next morning to record the title song for the movie Six Bridges to Cross, which was to star his friend Tony Curtis. After the recording, he and his valet, Charlie Head, got in Sammy's brand new Cadillac and headed back to Vegas. On the trip back, Sammy and Charlie alternated on who was driving. Sammy was driving on Interstate 10 when a green Chrysler Imperial, driven by a 72-year-old woman named Helen Ross, crashed into the Cadillac and it was slammed against a concrete abutment. Sammy's forehead went right into the steering wheel. With blood pouring down his face, Sammy hobbled out of the car and tried to get Charlie out of the back seat. A serviceman at a nearby gas station rushed over to be of assistance. Charlie looked at Sammy's face and was shocked to see his left eye dangling by a thread. Sammy tried to stuff it back in his eye socket, but failed. An ambulance was called. Sammy was taken to Community Hospital in San Bernardino. Charlie suffered a broken jaw and lost all his teeth. Helen Ross and her companions suffered minor injuries. They later attempted to sue and lost. Sammy came very close to death. There was talk that his eye could be saved, but if it was, it would only have 10% vision. And even then, synthetic blindness would probably develop eventually. It was decided that his eye would be removed. After surgery, the doctor, named Dr. Hall, told Sammy that he would not be blind and would still be able to sing and dance. Dr. Hall also noted that his eye socket would eventually heal so that a plastic eye could be put in. As Sammy recovered, he received numerous amounts of flowers and greeting cards from fans. Celebrities like Jack Benny and Eddie Canner called to give their well wishes. Tony Curtis and his wife Janet Lee visited Sammy at his bedside. Sammy's agent, Jess Rand, told him that Sammy was on the front page of every major paper. Rand said, you're the hottest thing in the business. The Sands Hotel offered the Will Maston Trio $25,000 to play there when Sammy got better. 
Nightclubs all over the country were trying to book dates. Sammy was discharged on November 27th and wore an eye patch for the next six months. He wore it for the cover of his debut album and appearances on the television shows What's My Line and The Ed Sullivan Show. He was later fitted for a glass eye, which he wore for the rest of his life. Sammy developed a lifelong fear of blindness afterwards. In the late 80s, director Tim Burton wanted Sammy to play the title role in the horror comedy Beetlejuice, but Warner Brothers refused. In the Dean Martin episode, we talked about the Together Again tour that Dean, Frank Sinatra, and Sammy went on in 1988. After Dean left the tour, and before he was replaced with Liza Minnelli, Frank and Sammy did the show as a duo for a few shows. Sammy received acclaim for his performances and would often receive standing ovations. In a review, Bob Harrington of The Post stated, So powerful was Davis's performance that Sinatra's entrance after intermission would have been anticlimactic if he had been anyone but Sinatra. After Liza Minnelli signed on to the tour in April 1988, they agreed to resume the tour in the fall. In the meantime, Sammy signed on to appear in a film called Tap, directed by Nick Castle Jr., the movie was intended to be a throwback to the musical films that were released in the golden age of Hollywood, many of which Castle's father directed. The film was to star Gregory Hines, a multi-talented African-American singer, dancer, and actor in his own right, and someone who always cited Sammy as an influence. In the film, Hines plays a formerly famous tap dancer who is released from prison and is given the option to either join his former gang for a big heist or resume his dancing career. In the movie, Sammy played Big Mo, a one-time vaudevillian who serves as Hines' mentor and as the father of his love interest. Sammy embraced the role, making himself resemble a senior citizen. Critics noted that while his character looked frail, at the same time, he was full of life. During the filming of Tap, on May 21, 1988, Sammy was shooting on location in New York. During filming, Sammy received the word that his father, the elder Sammy Davis, had passed away. His father had been in ill health for a while, having several heart attacks, wearing a pacemaker, and developing Parkinson's. While Sammy did not cry at the news of his father's death, he was still very upset. He was close to his father. Sammy delivered a touching eulogy at the funeral, which was held at Wee Kirk of the Heather Church at Forest Lawn, Glendale. After the funeral, he held a reception at his home and then went back to New York to finish filming. If you're like me and you wanted to start a podcast, but were not very tech-savvy, you wouldn't have known what to do. Then I heard about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tap was released on February 10th, 1989, but it was not a success. Critics praised the musical numbers, but said that the plot was unoriginal and overly hammy. Despite the lackluster reception, Sammy was pleased with how the film turned out, saying that if he didn't do another movie for 10 years, he'd be happy. Tap became his final theatrical film. In September 1988, Frank Sinatra, Sammy, and Liza Minnelli began the Ultimate Event Tour. The three singers had a lot of fun on the tour, and it received good reviews, eventually going overseas and being broadcast on cable. In February 1989, Sammy appeared on the sitcom The Cosby Show, which starred his good friend Bill Cosby. In the episode, he played an illiterate past-his-prime boxer who was estranged from his family. 
Around this time, he and his wife Altavise adopted a 10-year-old boy named Manny. When Sammy first proposed to Altavise, he made it clear that he did not want any more children. He was blindsided by the adoption, and as a result, Manny did not have much relationship with his adoptive father. Furthermore, Sammy's daughter Tracy heard about the adoption on TV and was furious. During the adoption process, Sammy was working on his second autobiography to be titled Why Me? Sammy's first autobiography, titled Yes I Can, was co-authored by Bert and Jane Boyer, who were brought back for a second time. Getting Sammy to talk for the book was difficult. He kept finding reasons to not talk with them. The interview process took almost a year to complete. However, those close to Sammy were more compliant. Sammy had instructed them, tell them everything, don't hold back anything. When Yes I Can was published, it was a smash hit. While Why Me did moderately well, it didn't live up to the success of his first autobiography. Four months after Why Me's publication, Sammy was in Florida giving a private concert for the executives of General Motors. Sammy was having problems with the IRS. He met with his manager, Shirley Rhodes, along with his booking agent and his lawyer to discuss a payment plan for when the final bill came. They also worked out a plan where Sammy's outstanding debts could be retired by the next year. Several booking arrangements were also made for the next three years that would restock his bank account. At the GM concert, it was noticed that Sammy was having problems with his throat. He assumed he had strep throat and asked Shirley Rose to schedule an appointment with an ear, nose, and throat specialist. However, when Sammy went to the doctor, it was revealed that he had throat cancer. Sammy had been a lifelong smoker, often smoking four packs a day, and it finally got to him. There were two treatment options. The first was surgery to remove the tumor. The success rate for this was good, though part of his larynx would have to be removed. The only problem with this option was that Sammy would not be able to sing again. Sammy hated that idea and declined surgery. Instead, Sammy went with the other option, radiation. This option had a 2 of 10 chance of survival, but even if he survived, the radiation could damage other body cells. Sammy held off on treatment for a week to fulfill a commitment at Harris Lake Tahoe. On September 14, 1989, his publicist released the news that Sammy had cancer, though it was announced that a full recovery was likely. Sammy had to pull out of a third round of the ultimate event. On September 18th, the treatment began and lasted 10 weeks. Sammy was already very skinny, weighing 110 pounds, but treatment made his weight drop down to 92 pounds. Towards the end of his treatment, Shirley arranged for Sammy to skip a day so that he could attend a star-studded event to be held that night to honor his 60th anniversary in show business. The event was being planned by Sammy and George Schlauter, long before Sammy had been sick. Technically, his 60th anniversary in show business had been the previous year, but due to commitments, he was unable to do it then. The event was held as a benefit and played to a sold-out crowd at the 6,000-seat Shrine Auditorium. Bob Hope later said, I've never seen a turnout like this for one performer. Eddie Murphy hosted the event with performances by Sinatra, Whitney Houston, Anita Baker, Stevie Wonder, Nell Carter, Lola Falana, and even Michael Jackson. Tributes were done by luminaries such as Jesse Jackson, Diane Carroll, Shirley MacLaine, Mike Tyson, Gregory Peck, Magic Johnson, and President George Bush. The event was to end with Gregory Hines doing a song and dance number. Schlatter arranged for Sammy's tap shoes to be nearby. Hines was told to invite Sammy on the stage to do a tap challenge. Hines was hesitant, but agreed to do it. Sammy was pulled up on stage, and the two did alternating tap routines. Sammy finished his routine. Hines bent down to kiss Sammy's shoe, and the crowd gave a standing ovation. 
The event raised $250,000 and was broadcast as a two-and-a-half-hour special on ABC on February 4, 1990. Sammy said the event was the happiest day of his life. Not only that, but backstage, he was telling anyone who'd listen that his prognosis was good and he'd be back to performing soon. Two weeks after the event, Sammy was Grand Marshal at the Hollywood Christmas Parade. Sammy boasted that he was doing well and that he was going to beat cancer. He even signed on to film a TV movie in Chicago to be titled The Kid Who Loved Christmas. Sammy spent three weeks in Chicago and gave his all for the movie. When Sammy returned to Los Angeles, he checked into Cedar sinai Medical Center to take care of a yeast infection in his gums, a frequent byproduct of radiation. However, it was revealed that his cancer had returned. As chemotherapy began, friends came to his bedside, including ex-wife Mae Britt and former flame Kim Novak. Dean Martin was in Cedar sinai at the same time as Sammy. When Dean was discharged, he visited Sammy on his way out. Dean noticed all the IVs sticking into him and quipped, Why are you wearing all your jewelry in the hospital? The joke gave Sammy some much-needed laughter, but it put a strain on his throat. Despite a grim prognosis, Sammy stayed optimistic. He was still convinced he'd beat cancer. Entertainment Tonight put up a 900 number where fans could call and leave get well messages. In a two-week period, 25,000 calls were made. Altavis denied all the rumors that he was near death, even saying that he had beaten the cancer. However, the rumors were not true. The chemotherapy wasn't working. Sammy went home on March 13, 1990. One report stated that he weighed 60 pounds. A hospital bed was placed in Sammy's room and his door was locked at all times. No one could go in without Shirley Rhodes' permission. Altavis was drunk when Sammy got home. One statement said that she was rarely sober, which angered his daughter Tracy. Sammy was also upset by Altavis's drunkenness. He wanted to stay in the master bedroom alone. He was scared that she would fall on top of him and kill him. Only really close friends were allowed to see him. David Steinberg would come by and watch Golden Girls reruns with him. Frank Sinatra often called, but he was often too upset to visit in person. One time when he did visit, he was devastated by the tumor sticking out of his neck that gave off a fall odor. Sammy could barely whisper and would often have to communicate by writing things down. On April 20th, Tracy gave birth to a son named Sam Michael. Tracy brought the baby in to see Sammy. He held the baby and smiled, saying the baby looked just like him. It provided a brief moment of happiness for Sammy. As May began, visitors were even more restricted. Those that could visit left in tears. As time went on, his condition continued to dwindle. At one point, Tracy went to Sammy and told him it was okay to go and that she would be okay. Shortly after this, on May 16, 1990, Sammy died at the age of 64. The same day, Muppet creator Jim Henson also passed away suddenly. That night, the lights on the Vegas Strip were dimmed for 10 minutes. Sammy's funeral was public, and 400 tickets were given out to those who got to Forest Lawn Hollywood Hills early. For those who couldn't get in, speakers were placed outside the building where the funeral was held. In all, there were about 2,500 mourners. At the funeral, Sinatra, Dean Martin, Michael Jackson, and Bill Cosby served as pallbearers. Reverend Jesse Jackson delivered the eulogy. Also in attendance included Shirley MacLaine, Jerry Lewis, Stevie Wonder, Ben Vereen, Burt Reynolds, Carol O'Connor, Billy Crystal, and Liza Minnelli. The funeral was open casket, and a photographer managed to snap a picture of Sammy's body. Shirley MacLaine contacted the photographer, saying Sinatra would have him killed if he didn't hand over the negative, which he did. Sammy was taken to Forest Lawn Glendale, where he was buried in his family plot.
In his will, Sammy left Altavis his estate, which was valued at $4 million. However, he owed the IRS $5.2 million. She had to sell many of Sammy's possessions and even had him exhumed so she could sell the jewelry he was buried with. Sinatra donated $1 million to Altavis and an auction was held for his estate. After Sammy's death, Bill Cosby wore a pin on the Cosby Show that said SD in Sammy's honor. Jefferson star Sherman Hemsley once claimed that Sammy's ghost saved him from suicidal depression. Altavis died of a stroke on March 14, 2009 at the age of 65. Sammy Davis Jr. is still regarded as one of the most talented entertainers of all time. It's true, Sammy was great, plain and simple. It would be difficult to be as great as he was. Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. Please don't forget to subscribe. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. If possible, leave me a review. If you have any requests for somebody you would like to see talked about on this podcast, let me know and I will do my best to get to them. Thanks again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha and I will see you next time.